Welcome to the Christmas 25th of December 2023 episode of the Greenwich Town for All Seasons show podcast, where we connect you to the history of the town of Greenwich, Connecticut. I'm Jeffrey Bingham Mead, your host. I'm a direct descendant of the 17th century founders of Greenwich, Connecticut, and it's my pleasure as always to welcome you. The Greenwich Town for All Seasons show podcast is made possible by Alexander Affiliates, Eastern Neurologic Services of New York, Mr. Kevin M.J. O'Connor of Jeffrey Matthews Wealth Management and listeners like you every everywhere. Coming up on today's show. Season's greetings, happy holidays, and Merry Christmas, everyone. On today's show, you'll be treated to a sampling of how the holiday was observed in Greenwich, Connecticut's history. I'll have news of celebrations in churches, newsboys entertained in Belhaven, though ice skating at 10 acres will have Christmas tide in the 1880s, and also news of a very extraordinary gift that was presented to the town in 1910 from Rebecca Witherell the wife of the recently deceased Nathaniel Witherell. My friends, I am so glad that you could join me for today's show. We're going to have all this and more as our history continues to unfold. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these important messages. Support is made possible by... A landscape architecture firm with an optimistic view of the future, Alexander Affiliates is a professional landscape architectural firm specializing in designing and planning visually appealing, functional, and environmentally responsible outdoor spaces for residential and commercial developments. From backyard perennial garden preparation to regional coastal planning, we have you covered. In addition, we serve a global clientele that has brought in a lot of business for us through word-of-mouth referrals. Some of Alexander Affiliate's clients include construction companies, land and property developers, government offices, engineering companies, geographers, and soil samplers. Its mission is simple. Instead of focusing on saving the planet, let's concentrate on thriving together. In business since 1980, you can learn more about Alexander Affiliates by going online to alexanderaffiliates.com. To learn more and to contact Alexander Affiliates, you can call 203-869-8632. Again, that's 203-869-8632. Its mailing address is P.O. Box 711, Greenwich, Connecticut, 06836. Eastern Neurological Services of New York offers comprehensive neurologic diagnoses and therapeutic services. Dr. Judy Gao, MD, a top New York neurologist, specializes in dynamic treatment of neurological diseases, neurorehabilitation, and physical therapy. With convenient locations in New York City and a multilingual staff, Eastern Neurological Services offers a wide array of treatments for neurological disorders, including general neurological consultations, on-site diagnostic testing, and physical and neurocognitive therapy. Now, the most trusted platform for medical products you need is available for you at healthsitepro.com. Shop online for the best in preventative medicine and health maintenance. These products are used by Dr. Gao and her family, and if they're good enough for them, well, they're good enough for you as well. Visit easternneurologic.com or call 212-889-6540 or 212-227-6500. 
Well, thank you, Kevin M.J. O'Connor, Vice President of Jeffrey Matthews Wealth Management, knowledgeable in the complexities of the financial markets with a passion for servicing clients and their financial needs. My friends, learn more at jeffreymatthews.com or call Kevin M.J. O'Connor at his Greenwich office, telephone 203-485-7595. Again, that's Kevin M.J. O'Connor, his Greenwich office at 203-485-7595. If anyone will look over the files of the newspapers for several years back, says an editorial in the Saturday, December 24, 1887 edition of the Greenwich Graphic, and read the Merry Christmas greetings each year, a striking similarity is at once seen in a comparison of one year with the other. Stereotyped, you exclaim. Well, yeah. And yet, the Merry Christmas so very old is always new, and it sounds just as joyous as when first said. It does not grow old in repeating, but rather fixes in our minds more firmly the truth that it is the greeting of Christians on the great day on which he who desired peace and goodwill to reign throughout the earth was born, and therefore the Merry Christmas carried out in the true spirit is carrying out his wish. So, tomorrow... Let us cherish no bitter animosities. Let us have a kindly feeling towards all men. And let us wish all the world a very Merry Christmas. This is a news story that dates from Christmas in 1907. This was published in the Greenwich News on January 3rd, 1908. Page 3 is my source. And uh, this takes place in Belhaven, and the title of this is Christmas Cheer. Dozen little newsboys entertained at Belhaven. And the story is as follows. The family of A.W. Green spent a Christmas that was probably unique in Belhaven. They invited a dozen little newsboys, of whom they knew, to share their Christmas tree with them. That's very nice. They entertained the little fellow so pleasingly that their eyes fairly bulged, and with the many presents, their pockets fairly bulged, too. Besides, there were innumerable good things to eat. Well, I bet there were. Quote, and they took us all home to our houses in their automobile, unquote, said one diminutive chap, telling of the happy experience. And then it goes on, quote, and on the way down, the chain broke, and it took an awful long time to fix it. Then they didn't swear a bit. Well, that was nice, too. Generally, people do swear when that happens. How did they get acquainted with us? Oh, they got acquainted a long while ago. You see, one day, little Johnny was sitting on his steps. He's lame, you know. And Miss Green, she came along, and she asked him how he happened to get lame, and he told her. And then she went away, but she brought back pretty soon, and she brought back a big bag of oranges and gave it to Johnny. After that, she made friends with some of us that was Johnny's friends. Oh, yes, we've been acquainted a long time, and we're pretty good friends now. And that was how a bunch of newsboys spent their uh, their Christmas in Belhaven. That was really nice. On last week's show, I introduced you to an artist and a columnist uh, who wrote 
and had published works in the Greenwich Papers as well as in Stamford and uh, other communities. Um, his name was Whitman Bailey. Um, he had the distinction of being colorblind. Uh, he was not able uh, to, to do color um, works of art, but he did sketches, and uh, these are quite distinctive, and they were published in the um, in the papers of that day. This one dates from December 24th, 1928, and the headline on this is Christmas Tide in the 80s, that would be the 1880s, at Indian Field, um, and it focuses on one of my family's old homesteads, which unfortunately no longer exists today. It was known as the Ephraim Mead House. Um, it had the distinction of being the first brick single-family home. It was located uh, off of Indian Field Road, um, south of the um, uh, of the Connecticut Turnpike, or I-95, uh, today over on the western side of, um, of Indian Field Road. Unfortunately, it was demolished um, the bricks, I understand, were imported from the Netherlands. When the day changed and the mad wind died down, the powdery drifts that all day long had blown across the meadows and the open fields or whirled like diamond dust in the bright sun, settled to rest, and for a tranquil hour the lengthening bluish shadows of the snow stole down the orchard slope, and a rose light flooded the earth with glory, and with peace. And that was by, let's see, Bliss Carmen. I don't know who that is. Anyway, it is often custom, the story goes, in early years upon awakening uh, Christmas morning, to find the ground covered with snow. Indeed, one frequently wondered if the jolly party of relatives and invited guests would ever reach the house where the elaborate feast was to take place. If the snow flaw, if the snow, yes, if the snow flaw had a hard crusted surface, traveling was fairly easy, and the air reverberated with the jingle of sleigh bells. But if the snow lay heavy in the roads, it was almost impossible for the horses to plow through the drifts. The feast usually started in the early afternoon and had many courses, so that shadows had begun to lengthen by the time that the mince pies of non-prohibition flavoring appeared. Great logs were sputtering in the huge fireplace, sending a flickering glow across the low-ceilinged room until the old pewter hitherto hidden in remote shadowy corners pricked the dimness with dull silver. Bunches of holly were spread about the table and small sprigs of mistletoe dangled in unexpected places, causing the rosy-cheeked girls to watch their step. You know, I'll bet it did. <laughs> the story goes on. The Greenwich, Greenwich doubtless had many such Christmases in her old, uh, or in her old houses. At Indian Field, a few hundred feet at, uh, at the east of our present Bruce Park, one could see the real charm of winter, for it was very wild country in and about the various ledges bordering the shore. It was in this neighborhood that Greenwich saw its first brick homestead, built in 1830 by Ephraim Mead. This I have pictured in my above drawing, that would be by Whitman Bailey. No doubt Meade took pleasure in seeing this house, unique in that period, grow in completion. Although he built it more for comfort than for architectural beauty, it had a decided charm. Later it became a well-known landmark and stood some 40 years or more after Mr. Meade's death in 1850. Isaac Howell Mead, his son, then became owner. 
The grandson of Ephraim Mead still lives in Greenwich. He can remember some of the later Christmas parties at the old brick homestead and tells of the many relatives and guests that found the way to the uh, to the uh, to the festival still celebrated throughout the world. And that was by Whitman Bailey, published in the Greenwich News and Graphic on Monday, December 24th, Christmas Eve, 1928. Well, it's time for Greenwich Life as it is and was. Today's column is appropriately titled The Christmas Season, and it was penned by Lucian B. Edwards, appearing in the December 14, 1923 edition of the Greenwich News and Graphics, so literally about a century ago. Nearly, if not quite, 10,000 Christmas trees will come to Greenwich from Maine to Cohen Brothers, whose advertisement in the news and graphic reads, Headquarters for Christmas Trees, quote-unquote, and the big store, one of the finest grocery fruit and vegetable markets in Greenwich, where the groceries and markets have been for years larger and more elegant, if that expression may be applied to grocery stores and markets than those of any city or town in the state of Connecticut, according to the statement of a representative of a large wholesale provision firm of New Haven, who travels all over the state for his firm, made in the presence of the writer. He said they were unequaled for appointments, variety, and class of stock kept for sale of any of the stores he made regular trips to for business purposes. Not all of the 10,000 Christmas trees will be used in Greenwich. However, Cohen Brothers are wholesalers and will dispose of a considerable quantity of them to retailers in Stamford, Port Chester, and elsewhere. Besides the Christmas trees, Cohen Brothers will have wreaths, holly, mistletoe, and other Christmas greens, and the big store will be a veritable bower of green from now until Christmas. With one exception, that of the grocery firm of Knapp and Studwell, Cohen Brothers is the oldest established grocery firm in Greenwich. Christmas trees and greens were sold, but very little, if at all, in the stores of Greenwich 25 years ago, when Cohen Brothers started in business in a store which has been occupied as a 5, 10, and 25-cent store for several years on Upper Greenwich Avenue, which became one of the most democratic places of business in town, multimillionaires rubbing elbows with the humblest customers and the courteous attention that each received Though of such differences in social position and wealth, doubles accounts for the success of the firm and the splendid store they now have. Particularly at the Christmas season has this been noticeable when the store has been crowded with customers buying Christmas greens. The custom of having Christmas trees and greens in Greenwich is one that has grown in the past 25 years, now generally observed in some way by almost every family living in the town. Previously, when trees or greens were desired by a family, some of the members would go into the woods and secure a fir tree and pine, which would be almost impossible to do now, the farms and woods having become the estates of the wealthy. The farmers seldom objected to the taking of the trees and greens from their woods. One of the places the most visible was Buttermilk Falls on the Upper Old Church Road, where the water of the brook that floods ten acres falls over stones under massive trees, churning the water 
into buttermilk-like foam. It was one of the favorite quote-unquote beauty spots for summer residents to visit years ago. There was a big chestnut trees there and then, now gone because of the blight, as all as are all of other chestnut trees and most of the hickory nut trees. Late in the fall of each year, just after the early frost had opened the buttermilk shucks, it was one of the great pleasures of the boys and girls to go nutting to gather them for Thanksgiving and Christmas. There were fine chestnuts and shagbark walnuts, as the hickory nuts were called then, and most of the farmers permitted the gathering of the nuts under the trees on their farms without objection. But they had to get up early in the morning to go for them, if they wanted any for themselves. There was a shagbark walnut tree that stood near the roadside on Paul Ferris's farm in Round Hill. The walnuts were great big ones that were called paper shell, quote-unquote. Paul was pretty good at, uh, to the nutting parties in letting them gather the nuts under this tree because they brought a larger price in the market. The chestnut and shagbark walnuts with the fine apples constituted a part of the Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner with most of the farmers' families. But, like many other things that used to be in Greenwich, the chestnuts are gone and only here and there can be found a shagbark walnut tree that still bears any nuts. Half a century ago, there was hardly a house in Greenwich where there was a Christmas tree or greens or wreaths. Like in all New England towns, Thanksgiving Day was the day most generally observed. It was the old Puritan custom, and Christmas was not taken so much interest in as it is now when the observance is greater than that of Thanksgiving Day. The children of most families of the well-to-do received some uh, few presents, and perhaps stockings were hung up on by the chimneys. The night before Christmas went all through the house. Not a creature was stirring to be filled with candy, apples, oranges, and uh, such toys as could be placed in them to please the children. That was about all the Christmas there was in the homes, the elders seldom making Christmas presents to one another. Some of the Sunday schools had Christmas festivals, as they called them, but they were not in general, and then not the elaborate celebrations of the present day. But in the, in the Episcopalian Sunday School, the observance was the most extensive of any of the church calendar, excepting Easter Sunday. New Year's Day was really more generally observed in Greenwich half a century ago than Christmas, and New Year's calling was very general, almost every family keeping open house. Now, however, it is just the contrary. There is no New Year's calling, but there is a general and, if it may be said, elaborate celebration of Christmas. The stores carry but limited stocks of goods suitable for the Christmas trade 25 years ago, and most of the Christmas purchases were made out of town. Now the stores are filled with attractive assortments of articles suitable for Christmas presents, and there is no need to go out of town. And the advice of the Merchants Bureau of the Chamber of Commerce, quote, it pays to shop in Greenwich, unquote, should be put into practice. About 35 years ago, the increased interest in Christmas in Greenwich began to be observed. 
The Sunday schools of several churches had more elaborate Christmas exercises with trees and presents for children and adults as well. Planning for those exercises was begun several weeks previous, for time and work were required to purchase the presents, decorating the churches, and practice the Christmas music, and from year to year the Christmas observance has become more and more general in Greenwich, and now gifts to adults as general as it is to children, and thus a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, is provided to all. The best-kept secret in Greenwich, Connecticut, is a marvelous destination with an even more extraordinary mission. Coffee for Good invites you to be a part of a magical story in a restored historic mansion that inclusively brings people together, thanks to a unique nonprofit partnership between Abelis and the Second Congregational Church. When you enter the doors of the 1858 Solomon Mead House, you'll be instantly drawn to the warmth and ambiance of Coffee for Good, at 48 Maple Avenue. Serving coffee, teas, and delectable goodies and more, Coffee for Good is a self-sustaining teaching platform that trains people with special needs who acquire the skills and self-confidence they need to thrive in the community. Voted Best Coffee Shop by the readers of Greenwich Magazine, honored with the Community Impact Leader Award by the Connecticut Restaurant Association, and now the Jack Moffley Nonprofit Leadership Award, Coffee for Good is open daily, Monday through Saturday, 8 to 6 p.m. Enjoy free parking, free Wi-Fi, as well as year-round indoor and outdoor seating, a popular destination for gatherings, meetings, and a fantastic study spot, too. Coffee for Good is located at 48 Maple Avenue, behind the Second Congregational Church in the Putnam Hill National Historic District. Visit coffeeforgood.org. In a class by itself, the Greenwich Historical Society's museum store and artist's cafe is the discerning shopper's destination for unique gifts and accessories. Located in the Toby's Tavern building at 47 Strickland Road in Coscob, the museum store reflects the richness of Greenwich, Connecticut's renowned history. Browse the latest arrivals in the store and online. Enjoy online shopping and pickup, ample free parking, member discounts, and complimentary gift wrapping. Open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., and weekends, noon to 4 p.m. Located at 47 Strickland Road in Coscob, enjoy complimentary coffee and tea in the warm ambiance of the Artist's Cafe. Learn more at GreenwichHistory.org. Just like that, the holidays are upon us. Books make great gifts. With a cornucopia of titles to choose from, it can be hard to select the right one. Well, my friends, worry no more. I recommend Victorian Summer of the Historic Houses of Belhaven Park, Greenwich, Connecticut by Matthew Bernard. Experience the wonders of the flowering of Belhaven, a bastion of Gilded Age Victorian luxury from 1884 to 1929. Beguiling estate biographies and rich illustrations tell the stories of exquisite estates, renowned architects, and more. Visit GreenwichHistory.org for the Greenwich Historical Society's Museum Store. Call 203-869-6899. But better still, visit the museum store at 47 Strickland Road in Coscob. 
Treat yourself to unhassled free parking, as well as complimentary gift wrapping and coffee or tea in the warm ambiance of the Artist's Cafe in the Toby's Tavern building. Be sure to mention this podcast and tell them your host, Jeffrey Bingham Mead, sent you. If you live in Round Hill, or at least are acquainted with the area of Round Hill, especially north of the Merritt Parkway, you may know of the Charles A. Moore estate. Now, the Moore family owned a farm um, and estate uh, up the up in um, up on Round Hill Road. Actually, the place I'm referring to is on the western side of Round Hill Road, the intersection with Cherry Valley Road. Um, this was the place where the Scottish Games uh, began and um, other such things. And um, this is a story that uh, was published in the Greenwich News on January 3rd of 1908. It's kind of a different take, you know, on the um, on the crime stories that um, I sometimes cover in the podcast, Crimes and Misdemeanors is that uh, segment. Um, and this is um, a very interesting story that caught my eye. I'd like to share it with you. And the title of this, or the headline um, in the paper, is Being Taken Care Of. Though Charles A. Moore was not a little indignant when he discovered that his six $30 fancy chickens had been stolen last week and dressed for the Christmas trade, and though he saw to it that the case was pushed against the guilty party, John Holtzman, so that he was sent to jail for three months, he is looking out in a quiet way for the family of the man. When Holtzman was arrested, it looked pretty badly for his wife and five children. With Holtzman, their visibly means or visible means of support, um, though a pretty poor one at that, disappeared. It was a sad sort of Christmas that the little family saw ahead of them with little to eat in the house and no one to bring in anything more. But Charles A. Moore has a peculiar way of remembering little things and remembered what the condition of that family had seemed to be. His resentment against the man who had rendered his um, experiment with, with a new breed of birds futile did not extend to the man's family. Consequently, on Christmas Day, one of Mr. Moore's farm wagons drove up in front of the Holtzman cottage and left a large store of good things to eat. From time to time, he has helped the family out since, keeping an eye on them to see how they are getting along. Mr. Moore was careful to see that the offender was punished, but he is just as careful to see that the innocent do not suffer with them. The area of the modern-day Greenwich High School campus, located um, just off of East Putnam Avenue um, and uh, Hillside Road, specifically where Cardinal Stadium is today, was an area that was at one time known as Ten Acres. Now, that entire campus area was one of my family's ancestral farms, uh, but um, it had been uh, acquired by the Marr, M-A-H-E-R family. Um, and uh, one of the things that had been done at uh, Ten Acres was that an area uh, where the Cardinal Stadium is today used to be flooded, um, and uh, it would be used when the ice or when the water froze for harvesting ice, also for swimming and other things. Um, but also, it was a very popular skating rink, um, and this began, I believe, um, in 1928, maybe earlier. We'll see. But um, anywhere, um, it was um, uh, on 
let's see, on the, in December 24, 1928, that it was reported that um, uh, Ten Acres was open for skating, a very popular thing for Greenwich people to do uh, back in that day, and even when I was growing up here, and maybe even today uh, as well. So, sponsored by the Recreation Board, Ten Acres, which has been turned over by John Mara, the owner, to the community for a skating rink, was recently flooded and was used for the first time yesterday, being opened at 10 a.m. There was a large crowd of young folks all uh, on the pond all day, up to 4 p.m., when, because of the melting ice, the pond was deemed not safe and was closed for the day. Roe O'Neill was in general charge of the pond and three blasts of a whistle, as well as the dropping of the red ball from the pole at the entrance, was a signal for the skaters to leave the pond at 4 p.m. The Greenwich Police Department handled the traffic on the post road and at the entrance where a gate had been constructed in a most efficient manner. That's always nice. When the red ball goes up on the pole, it will be a signal that the pond is open, but when it is dropped down to the base of the pole, it will be a warning that the pond is closed. There was also skating at Bruce Park and Glenville. The toboggan slide at Glenville is now in use, and the one at Bruce Park will be completed today. And that story came from uh, Monday, December 24th, 1928. This story dates from December 25th, 1914, and its uh, headline is Saving is Popular. The Greenwich Trust Company proves it by its Christmas club. How many of you grew up with Christmas clubs. I did. I remember starting one. I think that mine was at Putnam Trust and then at the Greenwich Federal Savings and Loan when um, it was around. Uh, And Christmas clubs used to be very, very, very popular. Um, I asked uh, our uh, friend and uh, co-sponsor, Kevin M.J. O'Connor of Jeffrey Matthews Wealth Management, who was on the advisory board of the First Bank of Greenwich. That's the one that is headed by Frank Gaudio over in Coscob. He says, oh, yeah, he says, uh, the bank has Christmas clubs. And so, really, you should turn around and contact uh, First Bank of Greenwich or um, your favorite bank, wherever it may be, and ask about um, uh, Christmas clubs. be nice to see those come back, I think. Well, anyway, let me share this this, uh, this story with you. The 1,500 members of the Christmas Club of the Greenwich Trust Company are a happy lot at present as they have just received nearly $50,000 for their efforts in saving for the last 50 weeks. It is without doubt a tidy sum to get together in so short a time. All who were members last year can hardly wait for the new club to open on Monday next. They claim it is the easiest way to save only a few cents a week, plus the stick-to-itiveness, and the tidy sum is at hand at Christmas just when it is needed. You know, if you stop and think about it here in the um, 21st century, it would be great to bring, uh, to bring these back, quite frankly. It would be better than putting people in credit card debt. That's just my two cents worth. Anyway, back to the story. Upon inquiry at the trust company, the news learns that the club was made up of all classes, people of means, moderate means, and even children. Nearly all who join keep up their payments until the end and, of course, receive the benefit of interest. Some may belittle the idea as too far beneath them to save odd pennies, nickels, and dimes, but it must be borne in mind that conditions have changed. 
Not so much money is being spent. People are getting economical. Where they saved dollars several years ago, they are indeed lucky to have dimes to save. It is certainly... Uh, no crime to endeavor to save in this small way, and those who have joined do not regret nor feel very embarrassed about it. More than one account may be opened by those who feel they would like to save more than one account would allow them, uh, allow them to. The news advised that some have opened as many as 10 accounts and kept them going, saving in this manner a large sum. Parents have found it a good education for their children. Well, how about that? It teaches them to save and save systematically. The trust company expects, uh, let's see, about 200 accounts this year and their seems to be no reason why they should not. On December 24th, 1910, the people of Greenwich opened up their editions of the Greenwich Graphic. It was a newspaper, of course, that existed back at that time, and they read of a very, very wonderful um, uh, Christmas present, if you will, uh, from a very prominent citizen, and that was um, uh, by Mrs. Nathaniel Witherell. Uh, and um, it is the Nathaniel Witherell Memorial Pavilion. It's not to be confused with the Nathaniel Witherell Nursing Home, although the building uh, um, referred to in this article um, is actually located very close by on Parsonage Road. And the uh, addition, or the um, headline on this is, The Town Accepts Mrs. Witherell's Offering of Memorial Building in Her Late Husband Nathaniel Witherell, in his name. It will cost about $25,000. A special town meeting Saturday afternoon to consider the proffered gift of a tuberculosis pavilion by Mrs. Nathaniel Witherell drew an unexpectedly large audience, numbering perhaps more than a hundred. The meeting was organized by R.J. Walsh as moderator and Robert Wellstood as clerk. The moderator read the letter from Mrs. Witherell to the selectmen dated November 11th as follows. Quote, I desire to erect at my expense and to present to the town of Greenwich a tuberculosis hospital to be known as the Nathaniel Witherell Memorial Pavilion. Plans for the building have been prepared, and my proposal is that such hospital shall be placed upon the property conveyed by Robert M. Bruce to the town of Greenwich in October 1903 and upon which now stands the Greenwich General Hospital. The site for the proposed Nathaniel Witherell Memorial Pavilion was selected by the late Dr. Jones for a tuberculosis hospital. My proposal is that such or is that the tuberculosis hospital shall be deemed to be part of the Greenwich General Hospital with all the advantages of the maintenance, support, and supervision, professional and otherwise, which the general hospital has, but that the Nathaniel Witherell Memorial Pavilion shall, under such general auspices of the Greenwich General Hospital, be treated as a separate and distinct, although subordinate institution, subject to the special provisions of my gift. And it goes on. The estimated cost of the building of the pavilion, including sterilizer and incinerator, will be about $25,000. Remember, this is 1910. Upon a due settlement of the deed or instrument of gift by myself to the town, I will make contracts for such construction, personally assuming the entire pecuniary responsibility for it. I should be glad if you would uh, if you would have a proper draft made of such deed, which I may submit to my counsel, Edward M. Shepard of New York. He asks me 
to point out to you that the authority by which the town maintains the Greenwich General Hospital seems to be a be a special law enacted by the Connecticut legislature on July 8, 1909. Mr. Shepard is troubled upon reference to the deed of Mr. Bruce refer, uh, referred to in such law to find apparently no express provision for the maintenance or use of any building except the quote-unquote three contiguous hospital buildings and the caretaker's house mentioned in such a deed. It is his opinion that for the purposes of my gift, there should be enacted a further special law or perhaps an amendment to the law of 1909, giving the town of Greenwich by the selectmen the power to accept gifts of money or the provision of buildings, etc., for the purposes of such a general hospital and upon such terms as may be incorporated in an agreement between any donor or grantor and the selectmen. Mr. Shepard thinks that it would be but little trouble to procure such an act from the legislature at its next session. If your honorable body shall be uh, shall approve the gift which I propose, then I shall be glad if you or your counsel will submit to me to Mr. Shepard a draft of the instrument of gift and provide expressly that the building and any successor of it shall bear the name of Nathaniel Witherell Memorial Pavilion and that its special purpose shall be the care of tuberculosis patients destitute of the means sufficient to treat them in the Adirondacks or other places deemed more eligible for such treatment. I desire the instrument of gift to reserve to myself and my representative of my estate the use of the southeast room on the second floor of the building or any other room which I or my estate might indicate for the purpose of treating medically and other caring for therein such persons as I or my estate may from time to time nominate. Such nomination to extend to one person at a time and... Such room shall not be used for any person not so nominated without the consent of myself or my estate. I understand that the medical men are very hopeful of the extinction at no distant time of this ravaging disease. I desire, therefore, in contemplation of that, while the pavilion is to be used exclusively for tuberculosis patients, that provision shall be subject to the further conditions that if at any time there shall not be a sufficient number of tuberculosis patients reasonably to occupy the building, then, with the written consent of myself, it may be used for cases of other diseases, that it may, after the end of my life, if there shall not be a sufficient number of tuberculosis patients reasonably to occupy the building to be used by the Greenwich General Hospital for other purposes, provided, however, that such use shall not or, or yeah, shall not be made so as in any way to interfere with the use of the pavilion for tuberculosis cases which shall be presented. The deed of gift should make provision for insurance keeping the property free from liens, maintenance, etc. I shall be glad if your honorable body will consider this matter without any delay. If you approve of the gift and will properly advise me, I will have the building work proceed to some extent this fall, even in advance of your procuring from the legislature the enabling law which Mr. Shepard deems to be necessary. 
Very respectfully yours, Rebecca Witherell. Discussion then came up on the annexed uh, resolution read by the moderator, which referred to the good fortune, uh, the good fortunator, who referred briefly to the good fortune of Greenwich in possessing citizens whose broad and far-reaching philanthropy was so considerate of those in the community who need it most which was read and adopted, resolved that the offer of Mrs. Rebecca Witherell to erect at her own expense and to present to the town of Greenwich a tuberculosis hospital to be known as the Nathaniel Witherell Memorial Pavilion be and the same is hereby accepted in accordance with the terms of a certain letter from Mrs. Witherell to the selectmen of the town of Greenwich dated November 11, 1910, which Letter the clerk of said town is directed to record in full in the minutes of this meeting. An inquiry by Mr. Wright as to whether acceptance of the gift would tend to affect the duties of the Charity Commission occasioned the remark from Health Officer Klein that the offer spoke for itself, augmented by the necessity for such a building. All kinds of disease developed in the community and the pavilion would further perfect the hospital complement of the town. A further resolution was adopted, and I will read that if I may please, as we start to close this, <laughs> that if in the opinion of the town council further legislative authority is required to enable the town to receive and maintain said hospital, in accordance with the terms of the gift, then said town council shall, in behalf of the town, secure or endeavor to secure the enactment of such further law as may be necessary. A committee to draft suitable resolutions of acknowledgement was uh, on motion of Philip Finnegan, named by the moderator, comprising Henry Dayton, W.J. Smith, and Health Officer Klein. Adjournment then followed, and the plans for the pavilion on view in the hall were quite generally um, inspected. It is understood that the structure will be built by the Greenwich contractor, or by a Greenwich contractor, the cost to approximate $25,000. And that wonderful Christmas present um, uh, to the town from um, Mrs. Witherell, uh, was published in the Greenwich Graphic on December 24, 1910. In year 1882, the Greenwich Observer uh, reported on the closing ceremonies of the Stanwich Lower District School, uh, that would be in the northeastern section of the town, as well as the Christmas anniversary of the Stanwich Congregational Church um, that was held um, on Monday evening, December 25th of that year. By the way, the, the Stanwich Congregational Church, the original edifice, was located in those days at the intersection, the northwestern uh, intersection, I should say, of, um, uh, of Taconic Road and North Stanwich Road. Um, the edifice burned down and um, was relocated elsewhere. Um, and so let me just uh, share this with you. Uh, this comes from Stanwich in the northeastern section of, um, of town. The closing exercises of the Stanwich Lower District School for the usual holiday vacation were of a very interesting character, consisting of recitations and singing by the school. A number of prizes had been offered by the teacher, two for the highest standing, one to be given to the girls and one to the boys. Miss Ella Waterbury took the former and Master Robbie Knapp the latter. The prizes offered to the spelling class were won by Anna Waterbury, Amy Hatter, and Mabel Hatter. The schoolhouse 
with its new maps and handsome globe, all earned by the scholars and teacher with the proceeds of a previous entertainment, presents a very attractive appearance. The scholars were interested and striving for their own improvement and to do credit to their teacher. The very pleasant occasion closed with a quote-unquote tea party, the table being tastefully decorated and bountifully furnished and was very an enjoyable affair. Miss Snyder was infused a great amount of enthusiasm into her students and may well be proud of her school, and rightfully she should be. The, greatest, the, great, uh, the Christmas anniversary of the Stanbridge Congregational Church was held Monday evening, December 25th. Each scholar under 20 years of age received a handsome box of candy, and 48 prizes were distributed for a six-month attendance during the year. The superintendent, Mr. Lockwood, received as a slight testimonial of the esteem of scholars and friends, quote-unquote, a handsome easy chair, and from Miss M.E. Close and class, quote, The Life of Stephen Paxton. I think that would be a book. The librarian, Mr. G.A. Lockwood, for his patience and untiring zeal, was presented with an overcoat with something in the pocket. The pastor, Reverend F.C. Potter, was presented with a very generous sum of money, for books, quote-unquote, and was, as usual, remembered by Miss M.E. Close and class with a beautiful and very useful book holder. His own class presented him with a fine American stylographic pen. The opening exercises were interesting and the house filled with friends from the veteran to fourscore to the little two-year-old and all had a very merry Christmas. I'd like to thank Greenwich Free Press for publishing the following public service announcement, and I would like you all, uh, please, to take down this information. The Greenwich Police Department is again teaming up with Riverside Service this holiday season to make sure Greenwich residents make it home safely from all of their holiday activities. The idea is that if a Greenwich resident is not sober to drive, they can contact the Greenwich Police Department's non-emergency number, which is 203-622-8004 to make arrangements for a ride home from Riverside Service, including a free vehicle tow. This service has already begun, and it runs through January 3rd, 2024. Again, the, the police department's non-emergency number is 203 622 8004. And again, I would like to thank Leslie Yeager of Greenwich Free Press very, very much for publishing this public service announcement. Thank you for listening to the Christmas Day, 25th of December, 2023 episode of the Greenwich in Town for All Seasons Show podcast. My name is Jeffrey Bingham Mead, your host. The Greenwich in Town for All Seasons Show podcast is made possible by Alexander Affiliates, Eastern Neurologic Services of New York, Kevin M.J. O'Connor of Jeffrey Matthews Wealth Management, and listeners like you everywhere. Please contact me at Greenwich in Town for All Seasons at gmail.com. Learn more about Greenwich Connecticut's history and listen to past shows by going to Greenwich in Town for All Seasons.blogspot.com. Please look for the show on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media platforms. Our next show is scheduled for Monday, New Year's Day, the 1st of January, year 2024. I am looking forward to being with you 
on that wonderful day. Take good care. Bye-bye now. Thank you.